But uh, we started a new message series a couple of weeks ago on Easter Sunday, actually, uh, called The Comeback. And this series is all about how you can come back from anything, just like Jesus did when he came back from death. And so this week, as we continue the series, I want to talk about how we can come back from disappointment. And more specifically, I want to talk about how we can come back from personal disappointment. When we have done something that was disappointing to ourselves and to others, how we come back from that. And so if you would just bow your heads with me, let's ask God to uh, speak to us and touch us through his word today. Lord, we thank you because your presence is here. You are in this place, God. And uh, Lord, we give you praise for that. We acknowledge your presence, Lord. And God, we pray that as your word goes forth today, your Holy Spirit would go forth in power to accomplish what you send it out to do. Lord, I pray that every heart would be fertile soil today, God, for this word to take root in and produce a harvest of righteousness. And we give you thanks and praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, let me start off right here. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done something that you really wish you hadn't have done? I mean, maybe, maybe it, was, uh, it was a decision you made, and man, that decision ended up hurting you. Maybe it was a financial decision that uh, you made, and it ended up hurting your financial future. Maybe it was a decision that you made that ended up really hurting someone else, and now you're, you're carrying a lot of guilt because of that. Or maybe it was a decision that you made that ended up hurting yourself, and now you sort of feel trapped in this place of shame and disappointment because of how it all turned out. You know, I'd be willing to bet that every single one of us in this room, on some level, we can say that we've all said something we wish we hadn't have said, and we've all done something that that we wish we hadn't have done. And unfortunately, we can't go back and change those scenarios. We can't go back and undo something that's already been done. That's impossible. What we can do, however, is we can come back from it. We can learn from it. We can grow from it. We can actually become better for having gone through it. And see, that's the wonderful thing about God's grace. And that's what experience and comeback is really all about. Because in the moment of disappointment, what it looks and feels like is that it's game over. Like this is the end. Like like you're finished, you're done forever. This thing is over. But I'm here to tell you today that no matter what you've experienced or what you may be facing even now, if you've got Jesus on the inside of you, you've got a comeback story that is just waiting to be revealed. And see, that's God's hope for you. In fact, I believe that is his plan for you. He's got an epic comeback written into the story of your life already. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, it's because of what the Bible tells me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the scripture says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You've got a comeback in you. Our God is described throughout the scripture as a redeemer. And listen, redeem, that that means to take you from the place of disappointment and despair and bring you back from that. But that's not just what he does. It's who he is. We sang about it. That is who you are. That's who he is. And the scripture said, if anyone is in Christ, that that means that there is a redeemer. If you're in Christ, there is a redeemer, literally someone who redeems you that is alive in your heart. And if that's true, you can come back from anything, even something so disappointing that it feels like your life is over because of it. God's got a comeback story already written, just ready to be revealed. 
And that was exactly the case for a well-known character in the Bible that I want to talk about today, a character by the name of King David. I want to look at a portion of his story today, and it's a not-so-flattering portion of his story. It's a story of personal disappointment and shame and failure. But I want us to see how David came back from that place. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along with me, I encourage you to do that. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 11 today. And uh, I'm going to read a lot of scripture throughout the duration of this message. So stay locked in with me. Stay with me today. Sometimes uh, the, the best way to just convey it is just to read it. And, and I, I just really feel led to do that today. But we're going to read a lot of scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And we're going to look at how David went through disappointment and came back from it. But let's start right here at 2 Samuel 11 and 1. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war... David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness, and then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. This is a very disappointing moment in the life of a great king, King David. He's a man that we all look up to and admire in the scripture, as a child, we're taught that David was the guy who killed Goliath. When everybody else was afraid to face this giant, this 13-year-old boy walked out there and took him out with a stone and a slingshot. That's David. David is the man who fought off a lion and a bear to protect his sheep when he was a young shepherd. David is the man who wrote, he penned most of the Psalms that we read today, and we are filled with praise to God. We are filled with adoration for God because of the words that David put down in the Psalms. He became king, and by far, he was the best king Israel ever had, and it's not even close. But this, this is very disappointing. And if you're like me, the natural question is, how did this happen? How did someone so wonderful, so anointed by God, so good, how did someone like that do something so awful? And the answer is, nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. Disappointing things like this happen oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes, because we allow them to happen. We set the stage for them to happen. In essence, we set ourselves up for this kind of disappointment. You know, when there is an untimely or unexpected death, Many times the family will ask for an autopsy. And they ask for an autopsy because they want to know how did this happen? How did this person die? This was unexpected. Right? We, we can't understand what happened. What caused it? What led up to their death? The autopsy is designed to tell us that. And if you could do an autopsy on David's story of personal disappointment, I believe we would see how the stage had been set for this tragic scene to play out. In fact, I believe the results of the autopsy are written right here in the scripture. In fact, I think it's as easy to see as ABC. If you want to know how in the world did this happen to David, it's the ABCs of personal disappointment right here in the scripture. And I'm going to give those to you now. It's the first one's apathy. Apathy. David became 
apathetic. Apathy is defined as a general feeling of not caring. It's a lack of concern or interest for the things that we should care about. Now go back and look at verse 1 again, 2 Samuel 11 and 1. It says, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab. He sent Joab out with the king's army and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Do you see the apathy there in the scripture? It was at the time when kings go off to war. David was the king. He should have gone off to war, but instead he sent Joab. It was the time when he should have gone off and led his army, but he sent someone else. Why did he do that? It was because he became apathetic. Now watch this. Apathy will cause you to disengage in areas where God has called you and positioned you intentionally to be engaged. It's areas like your family. See, your family is an area where you should be engaged, where you should be going to war for, not going to war against, but going to war for. You should be fighting for your family. So let me talk to the men of the church for just a minute because I got fired up Wednesday night in our study called Kingdom Man. I got fired up about this. And by the way, if you're not there, you need to be there. Every man, you need this. You need to learn how to be a kingdom man. But men, listen, we are called to fight for our families. We are called to fight for them. We cannot afford to be apathetic when it comes to our role as king and priest of our homes. Because God has called us, he has anointed us, and he has positioned us, watch this, to wage war against the enemy on behalf of our families, those who have been entrusted to our care. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, the scripture says. And we don't wage war the way that the world does. We are fighting a spiritual battle for the very soul of our family. And the Bible says the weapons we fight with, they are mighty for the pulling down of the strongholds. So listen to me. It's not someone else's place to fight for your family. It's not someone else's job to pray for your family. It's not the pastor's job to stand in the gap and intercede for your family. That is your job. That is your calling, man and woman of God. That is your calling to fight for your children and fight for your home. It is God's calling on you. Watch this. David sent Joab to do the thing that God had called him to do as the king. Don't find someone else to fight in the place where God has called you to stand and fight. Our families are our responsibilities. We are called by God to steward that responsibility well. And in order to do that, we must be engaged because our families are always under attack from the enemy. That never stops. But David sent Joab to fight a war he was called to fight. Why did he do that? He did that because he had become apathetic disengaged in an area where he was called and anointed to be engaged. Verse 1 says that while Joab and the armies of Israel were out fighting, David himself stayed in Jerusalem. See, apathy will cause you to, to not be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Apathy will cause you to not be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. David was not where he was supposed to be because he was not where the king of Israel was supposed to be. See, David wanted the title and the notoriety of king, but he assigned someone else to carry the responsibility. He chose to remain in Jerusalem. And this is a principle that the Lord taught me years ago. When you are not where you are supposed to be, when you are supposed to be there, you open yourself up to spiritual attack. You make yourself vulnerable for an attack from the enemy. I want to give you two examples quickly where the Lord taught me this. I didn't hear this in a message Nobody told me this. The Lord just put it in my heart. 
I was a high school senior, and I had never done anything that bad in high school. I was a good kid. <laughs> but we decided we wanted to know what it felt like to skip class. And so my friends and I, we decided between classes, we were going to bolt out the gym doors, and we were going to get in a car, and we were going to go to the mall. You know what a mall is, right? It's this really rad place with a bunch of stores and a food court. It's where everybody hangs out, right? It's so cool. <laughs> so we go to the mall, and we think we're so cool. We're skipping class, and we're walking around, and all of a sudden, I just stop in my tracks. And my friends turn around like, what is wrong with you? And I just felt this conviction just wash over me. This just feeling that if I take one more step around that corner, there's going to be someone that I know that knows my parents. They're going to see me. They're going to call my parents. And I'm going to be in more trouble than I've ever been in in my whole life. And I just thought, I, I can't do this. And I literally, I felt, and I said, guys, you got to take me back. And they were like, what? I said, you got to take me back to school. And they said, we can't. We'll get busted. I said, look, you guys can do whatever you want, but you got to take me back to school right now. And so they did. They dropped me off right in the front, and I came walking in like nothing happened, and everybody's just looking at me, and I'm like, hey, <laughs> just walk to class. I got through that one, but I never forgot that moment. And then it happened again my sophomore year of college. I was delivering pizza for Pizza Hut. And uh, at the end of the shift, the delivery drivers, we would wash the pans and get everything ready for the next day. And I had the last delivery of the night. I took it out. And you know what? I didn't feel like washing dishes. Anybody? You've been there? Some of you like, that's the story of my life. I never feel like washing dishes. And so I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to go on a little joy ride for the next 20 or 30 minutes. And I'm not going back. And they'll take care of all of this. And I'll just show up and get my money and go home. And so I'm driving around. And I was coming around a, a curve, and I just, again, I just felt that conviction of the Holy Spirit just wash over me. And I slammed on brakes because I literally thought, if I finish this curve, I'm going to go off the road and into the ditch and die right now. Or, or I'll get pulled over or something like that. I just thought something awful is about to happen. And so I put my truck in reverse, and I turned around, and I went straight to the store, and I did what I was supposed to do. Listen to me. Watch this. This is important. During those school hours... I was under the authority of the school. And when I decided to skip class with my friends, that was a decision of rebellion against authority. During work hours, I was under the authority of my boss at Pizza Hut. And when I decided to go for an extended drive and shirk my responsibilities, that was an act of rebellion against authority. Now listen to me. To function in your calling and walk in your victory as a child of God, you've got to submit to the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. And when you are under his authority, you live and you serve at his direction. So watch this. David's decision to send Joab to fight his war while he himself stayed in Jerusalem, it caused him to not be where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be there. And, 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 and this act of staying in Jerusalem, listen, it was an act of rebellion against God's calling and anointing in his life. Now watch this. This is super important. Another word for anointing in the Old Testament is the word covering. See, when you got anointed, you had oil poured over your head to the point where it covered you. And that act of rebellion was not just rebellion against God. It was a rebellion against God's anointing in his life. It was a rebellion against God's covering. The rebellion caused the covering to be removed. Watch this. And when the covering was removed, David was open to spiritual attack where he was not open to that before. Are you guys following me? You tracking? And see, that's what apathy will do. 
It will cause you to disengage in areas where you are called and positioned by God to serve at his direction. We're talking about the things that led to David's story of personal disappointment, the findings of the autopsy, if you will. They're right here in scriptures. The ABCs of personal disappointment. A, apathy. B is boredom. David became bored. Look at the second verse with me, 2 Samuel 11 and 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around the roof of the palace and from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. Now remember, David was not where he should have been when he should have been there. He is in the wrong place at the wrong time right now. He should have been off fighting, but instead, he's laying in his bed. He's got nothing to do. Just laying in his bed. He's bored. Decides he's going to get up and take a little stroll around the palace. Nothing going on. Decides he's going to go up on the roof. Just kill some time. He's bored. He's got nothing to do. And it was while he was on that roof that he saw a beautiful woman bathing. Now, let me just stop right here and tell you how important it is to have a good shower curtain. <laughs> All of this gets avoided if Bathsheba has a shower curtain. I'm just saying. Super important. But listen, what really led to him seeing her was that he was bored. It was that he had nothing to do. Listen, it's amazing what the devil can do with a disengaged mind. I worked at Focus on the Family for four years, primarily helping couples who were facing a crisis in their marriage. And part of my responsibility was to learn their story so we could figure out how to help them. We had to figure out what was going on. How did they get to the place of marital crisis? And let me tell you, apathy and boredom have set the stage for a great number of tragedies in a great number of families over the years. It wasn't a late night stroll on the roof, but it was a late night stroll on the computer. It was a, I'm going to stay late at work tonight, honey, type of situation. I'm telling you, it would blow your mind the number of times that I was told on the phone, I didn't mean for this to happen. I just got bored. There's another word that is very close to boredom, and it's the word that the Bible warns us against. In several passages of Scripture, it's the word idleness. See, boredom typically leads to idleness. Boredom is a description of our minds disengaged. Idleness is a description of our hands and our actions. It's, it's saying we're not doing anything productive with our time. We're just being idle. And watch this. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 27 in the Living Bible Translation says this. It says, idle hands are the devil's workshop. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul warns us against idleness. He says, stay away from people with idle hands. Stay away from people with nothing to do. People that are bored, that are idle. Why, Paul? They will get you in trouble. This is so true. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. That means that if you give the devil a disengaged mind and an unproductive set of hands, he will give you something to think about and he will give you something to do. And it will not lead you to anything good. It will lead you to the place of personal disappointment, just like it did David. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, Paul warns us, he says, Do not give the devil a foothold. This is giving the devil a foothold. A bored mind and idle hands. We're discovering the things that led up to David's moment of personal disappointment. And I think it's spelled out right here in the text. It's as easy as ABC. He was apathetic. He was bored. And here's the third thing. He was curious. Curiosity. David became curious. Look at verse 3. 
He finds out about her, who she is. What did David do? He says he sent someone to find out about her. Find out about that woman that I saw on the roof. Why did he do that? He was curious. He wanted to know more. The man came back and he said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now watch this. I want to make sure you're, you're with me here. His apathy placed him in the wrong place at the wrong time. His boredom allowed, to see, allowed him to see something that he should not have seen, but it was his curiosity that led him to the place of sin. Because if you're not careful, curiosity will get the best of you. David saw her, and he wanted to know more about her. And so the report came back. She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, I can just see this in my mind. The, the, the messenger comes to David and tells him that. And you can just see David's mind just working, his, his, his bored mind, his idle mind. He's just thinking, okay, Eliam, I think I know him. And I definitely know Uriah. I know who that is. Okay. And the messenger says, did, did you hear me, king? She's the wife of you. She's married. You're married. Like, it's over. Stop. That's not what David does. Look at verse 4. David takes it one step further. He sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. And see, this is why curiosity can be dangerous. And if you've ever read a story of Curious George, you know how dangerous curiosity can be. <laughs> But seriously, I want to be clear because curiosity in and of itself is not a bad thing. Curiosity leads to wonderful discoveries. Like it leads to wonderful discoveries about you and the world and all that kind of stuff. But when you couple curiosity with apathy and boredom, the results are never good. And there's a course of action that these three things set David on, and those things led him to the place of personal disappointment. And this is something you need to know today. Sin will always take you further than you plan to go. Always. I'm going to say that again because I want to make sure you got that. Sin will always take you further than you planned on going. Always. I seriously doubt that David planned any of this out. He didn't pre-plan any of this. I'm going to stay home from war. I'm going to go up on the roof on Tuesday night at 8 o'clock so I can see Bathsheba, and then I'm going to have an affair. David did not plan that out. No, all of it was the result of him being open to an attack from the enemy because he did not have a covering to stop it. And let me just say right here that there are times when a covering kept the enemy from destroying your life, and you need to know that. That's, that's the power of somebody praying for you. There are And I know this is true in my own life. There are times when the devil had a warrant out for my death, but a prayer of a righteous woman called my mother in my home kept me from dying. He kept me alive. I'm telling you that prayer makes a difference. And that's what covering is. You get covered by the grace of God. But here, man, he was in rebellion against the covering of God. And he was open to attack. When David heard the word, she is the wife of, he should have dropped it right there. But check this out. When you are living in rebellion against God's authority, you won't respect the authority of anyone else either. There's a reason the messenger came back and said what he did the way that he said it. Her name is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam. She is the wife of Uriah. Eliam is her father. Uriah is her husband. Why is that important? Because those are the men that God entrusted her to. Those are the men that God had entrusted 
to care for her. And David, you have no right to her. You have no authority to do to her what your sinful heart wants to do with her. Why? Because she is covered under someone else's covering. She is covered under someone else's anointing. But David, in his rebellion to God's own authority in his life, he did not bat an eye about whose authority and covering Bathsheba was under because he was the king and he wanted her, so he took her. And in so doing, he made the biggest mistake of his life. It was a mistake that would follow him all the way till his deathbed. It was a mistake that he would feel the effects of late, late, late into his life. These ABCs in the scripture, they show us how David got to the place of personal disappointment. They set the stage for this scene to play out. It was apathy, boredom, curiosity. Let me ask you today, before we go one step further, what about you? How are you doing in your life right now? Because it's one thing to talk about how we can come back from something, and that's wonderful, and it's great, and it's powerful. But wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to come back from it because you avoided it? <laughs> because you saw it, and you didn't, you didn't go through with it. Come on, so just take a minute right now and just reflect on your own life. Is there apathy in your life? Is there an area where you are disengaged, where you are called to be engaged? Are you apathetic in your family right now? Are you apathetic towards your finances right now? Are you apathetic in your work life? Showing up late every day, you don't care. Are you apathetic in your church? Disengaged in an area where God has called you to be engaged and involved. Are you apathetic? Are you bored? Is there idleness? Are you giving the devil space and time to manipulate your mind and lead you astray? Is there curiosity where there shouldn't be? This is important to ask yourself these questions and to answer them honestly because it could save you from heartbreaking disappointment. What David went through was heartbreaking. It was gut-wrenching. But David went through it because of his own actions and his own inaction. It set the stage for it. And unfortunately, it didn't stop there. Things got much, much worse for David. Look at verse 5. 2 Samuel eleven five 5 tells us the woman conceived and sent word back to David, I am pregnant. That is the last thing David wanted to hear. So what does David do? Well, this is what he does. And verse 6 bears this out. He says, okay, I got to figure out what I'm going to do about this. I got to hide this. I can't know this happened. So he sends word to Joab, send me Uriah. Send him from the, the field of battle. I, I need to see him. So Uriah comes to David and David says, hey, how's the war going? How's everybody doing? Great. That's wonderful. I want you to go home. I want you to wash your feet and I want you to be with your wife. So Uriah leaves the palace. The problem is Uriah does not go home. The Bible says that the Uriah, Uriah goes out and sleeps on the doorsteps of the palace with the, mass, with, the, uh, with, with, with the servants of the king. He did not go home. So the next morning, somebody comes and tells David, hey, Uriah didn't go home like you asked him to. And so, so David pulls him back in. He says, hey, man, why didn't you go home? You know, go be with your wife. Gosh, you've been, you've been out there fighting. I, I, I brought you here so you could, you know, do that and you should go home. And Rye is like, I can't do that. I can't do that. He said in verse 11, he said, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's army, my Lord's men, they're camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife as surely as you live? I will not do such a thing. 
Now, what's going on here? What's David trying to do? He's trying to hide it. He's trying to cover up his sin. He wants Uriah to go home and sleep with his wife. So nine months later, when she has a baby, everybody will be like, oh, yeah, that's the night Uriah went home and washed his feet and went in there with his wife. I don't know why it's important to include that detail. Hey, go wash your feet first and then go be with your wife. But that's what David's trying to do. Unfortunately, Uriah is not playing along very well. He's trying to cover it up. But listen, it gets much, much worse. Look at verse 12. David said to him, listen, stay one more day, and then tomorrow I'm going to sing you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. Watch this. And David made him drunk. Righteous King David. Wonderful King David making him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah, once again, he did not go home. He slept on his mat among his master's servants. It's not working. What are we doing? What are we going to do? Well, things got much worse. Look at verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it with Uriah. And in it, he wrote, hey, put Uriah out front where the fighting is fiercest and then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under, under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Now let me tell you something. This is one of the saddest scenes in all the Bible to me. This story breaks my heart every time I read it. Because Uriah was a good man. And he didn't deserve any of this. He didn't deserve his wife cheating on him. He didn't deserve to be treated this way by David, a man that he admired, by the way. The Bible talks about a, a group of men within the Israeli army called David, David's Mighty Men. There were 30 of them. They were amazing fighters, and they were steadfast in their devotion to the king. One time, David was thirsty. He wanted water, and the water was on the other side of the enemy, enemy's lines. The 30 mighty men went in there. They crossed the lines. They fought the enemy just so they could get to a well and get David a drink of water. Uriah is listed among David's mighty men. That's who he was. He was devout in his duty to king and country. He was a good man. He was the best of the best, and he didn't deserve any of this. But David had him murdered, and why did he do it? It was so that he could conceal his sin and cover it up. It is so hard to read this portion of Scripture for me. It's because David is my hero. Other than Jesus, he's the God that I look up to the most when I read the Bible. I remember when I was 15 years old, my youth pastor was praying over me, and he prophesied over me, and he said, Brian, you've got, <laughs> he said, you've got the heart and the spirit of David. You're a man after God's own heart. He said, Brian, you're going to kill giants. He said, you're going to be anointed by God to lead people into his presence through worship. That's the anointing on your life. But this same guy, he had his best friend killed so that he could have his wife. That's hard to reconcile. That's hard to deal with in your own heart, isn't it? It's hard to read this story, but there's a principle that we see here. And the principles that even the good guys can make awful, awful mistakes. Even really good people can do disappointing things. They can hurt others. Even the best of the best can fall sometimes. And so the real question, while I think we can kind of figure out how all this happened, the real question is not how David 
could do such a thing. The real question is this. How can a man like David come back from such a disastrous, disappointing moment in his life? How can anybody come back from that? Well, there's some keys to his comeback that I see in the scripture that I want to give you quickly today. And here's the first one. If you want to come back from personal disappointment like that, the first thing you got to do is you got to put down the shovel. You got to put down the shovel. You got to quit digging that hole deeper and deeper and deeper. See, David did a series of things to try and fix his mistake, but every attempt he made to try and fix it, he only made things worse. And if you want to come back from the place of personal disappointment, you got to put down the shovel. You got to stop digging yourself in deeper and deeper. Listen to me. Nothing is as bad as it seems at first, but it can get a whole lot worse. It all depends on how you choose to respond to it. Look at 2 Samuel eleven twenty six. 26. It says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But watch this. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. You have to understand that trying to cover up your sin is a completely fruitless task. You can't cover it up. You can't cover up sin. In fact, the Bible says there's only one cover-up for sin, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's, it's your atonement. Atonement means a sacrifice that covers you. His blood is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and that's the only covering that will work. It's the only thing that can cover sin, and it's the only covering you need. And any attempt you make to cover your sin or conceal it or hide it, all it's going to do is make things worse because God sees it all. He already knew what David had done. There is no covering it up. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So what did God do? He sent a prophet by the name of Nathan to go to David to confront him. And I want to read this portion of Scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. It says that Nathan came to David, and when he did, he said to him, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except for one little ewe lamb he had bought. And he raised it. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food. It drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. That lamb was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come. Watch this. David burned with anger against that man, and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then verse 7, Nathan says to David, You are that man. God saw it all. He saw the whole thing play out. David had no idea that his lies and his sin had been exposed until Nathan showed up and confronted him. And see, this is something that you need to know. Even after all that had happened and all that David had done and how he had displeased the Lord and all the awful things he did, God still loved him. That is amazing to me. And the fact that he sent Nathan to him is proof that God still loved him. In fact, the reason that God sent Nathan to confront David was because he loved David too much to let his sin go unconfessed and unforgiven. Because as bad as that disappointment was, it would have been far worse for David to have lost his soul for eternity. See, it's in love that God confronts us. 
It's his mercy that drives him to us in our moments of greatest despair. The scripture says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And sometimes the kindest thing God can do for you is confront you in the middle of your mess with a word of truth. See, the truth will set you free, but only if you receive it. And that's what David does. Look at verse 13. Nathan says, you're that man, David. I'm talking about you. And David responds to Nathan in verse 13. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's the second key. If you want to come back from disappointment, you need to own your role in it. You need to own your part. You need to own your role. You need to own your sin. See, when we do something wrong, inevitably, we look for someone else to blame. That's human nature. That goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. You remember they fell into sin and God came down and he confronted them just like Nathan confronted David. God came down and he said, what is this that you've done, Adam? And how did Adam respond? It's this woman you gave me. It's her fault. She made me do it. <laughs> I would have never done this, Lord, but she made me do it. It's, all, it's her fault. And see, that's human nature. It's to blame other people for our disappointing moments. And see, that's what happens when we, when we live in our human nature. But the Bible says that we can walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And see, the spiritual thing to do is not to look for other people to blame. It is to own your role in creating the disappointment, not try to blame somebody else for it. Listen, some people live their entire lives blaming somebody else, and they never own up to their role in their own dysfunction. It was their parents' fault. It's their spouse's fault. It was their ex's fault. And the blame game never stops. Literally, it goes from person to person to person and situation to situation to situ situ situation. <laughs> but this is super important. I want you to hear me today. You cannot be healed until you acknowledge your own reality. And this is what I'm not suggesting to you. I'm not suggesting that someone else did not possibly play a role in your disappointing situation. They probably did. Bathsheba played a role in this too. She did. What I'm suggesting is your job is not to focus on them. It is to focus on you. What role did you play in this disappointing situation? See, God wants to heal you. He wants to redeem you. He wants you to experience a comeback from the tragedy that you've walked through. But being made free requires you first to acknowledge the truth. Jesus said, when you know the truth, what? The truth will set you free. There cannot be freedom until you first acknowledge the truth. And I have to show you this. The Lord put this on my heart late last night. In Psalms chapter 107, verse 20, a psalm that David penned. This is what he said of the Lord. It says, he sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and rescued them from the grave. God healed them. And how did he do it? By sending his word. And see, that's what God did with his prophet Nathan. He sent him. He sent him with a word in his mouth, a word designed to confront David. Why did he do that? It wasn't to judge David. It wasn't to condemn David. It wasn't to cast David out. The reason that he sent Nathan with his word in his mouth was to heal David. Let me ask you something. Would, would David have been healed if he had decided to reject the word from the Lord rather than receive it? What if David responded the same way Adam did? It's Bathsheba's fault, Lord. She's the one without a shower curtain. I mean, come on. I was minding my own business. I wasn't doing anything wrong. 
Would he have still been healed? Could he have still been rescued? Could he have experienced a comeback if he had rejected the word of the Lord rather than receive it? Now, this is what the Lord told me to ask you. How many times has God sent his word to heal you in your moment of distress, but you've rejected his word by choosing to believe a lie instead of the truth? See, God sends his word to heal us, but we don't always receive it. Why? It's because pride and rebellion go hand in glove. Your pride won't allow you to acknowledge your role in it. Your pride causes you to blame others. Your pride causes you to reject the word of the Lord. You are that man. You are the person. That, that word of the Lord that is designed to confront you, yes, but it's really designed to heal you and set you free. Your rejection is what keeps you in bondage instead of walking in freedom. But listen to me, it doesn't have to be that way. God's design, his plan for you is to live live healed and whole, but it will require you to receive his word that is sent to confront to heal you. David could have rejected the word of the Lord. He could have had Nathan killed on the spot. One snap of the fingers, here come the soldiers. Let's kill Nathan too. I'm going to continue to cover this up. The prophet's gone. Okay, I've got no one else left here that, that can even know what's happened here. He could, have, he could have kept trying to cover it up, but thank God he didn't. He humbled himself, and he owned his role in it, and we must do the same thing. Now, look how God responds to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan replied to him, the Lord has taken away your sin, David. You are not going to die. And this right here, this is why repentance is crucial to your comeback. That's what repentance is. It's you owning your role in the disappointment that you've experienced. Confession and repentance, they force the grip of sin to let you go. And according to Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin or the grip of sin is death. According to James chapter 1 verse 15, sin always gives birth to death. Without confession and repentance, your comeback is impossible because death has a hold on you, which means death is going to win the day. But at the very moment of confession, the moment David said, I have sinned against the Lord, he acknowledges his own role. He acknowledges his sin. The Bible says that the Lord forgave him in that very moment. That moment your sins are forgiven. That moment the proclamation comes out. You are not going to die. What is Nathan really saying to him? Death has got to release its hold on you. That means that resurrection power can go to work in you. That means that your comeback is inevitable. But it starts with confession and repentance. That's what causes death to, to, to release its hold on you. When we confess, God forgives every single time. There, there's not one time where you can confess your sin and ask for forgiveness where God is going to reject that. He is going to receive it every single time. He's going to forgive you. That's what his word declares. But let me ask you this. We know God forgives, but have you forgiven yourself? Have you forgiven yourself? What if the prison of guilt and shame you feel like you've been living in is not the result of God's judgment, but your inability and your unwillingness to forgive yourself. Again, he sent his word to heal them. He has already forgiven him. If God is forgiving you, listen, you've got permission to forgive yourself. Your comeback may not be waiting on God. It might be waiting on you. Now, let me pause right here because there's some tough stuff that we read in this chapter that we need to talk about. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, right after Nathan tells David, your sins are forgiven and you're not going to die, he tells him, but your child is going to die. 
the child born out of your sin is going to die. He also told him the sword is not going to depart from your family, David. You're going to have to deal with a lot of death in your family because of what's happened here. Here's another principle that I have to give you today. I wish I didn't have to, but it's in the scripture. Even though we're forgiven, sometimes God still allows us to walk through the fallout of our disappointing decisions. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know why that is. I mean, we, we, we have a general idea. We live in a fallen world. That's what sin does. Sin kills. And sometimes we have to walk through it. And your soul is secure. But you still live in a fallen world. We don't know why David had to deal with it this way. You don't know why you've had to deal with it this, the way that you have. You know that God has forgiven you. And you've forgiven yourself. But you're still walking through some stuff. Because of some decisions that you made a long time ago. We don't know why. We don't know why all this was necessary. All I can tell you is there are things about God and his plans that we may never understand in this life and we may never be able to fully reconcile in our minds. We could guess at it. That's what a lot of people do. They try to be a spiritual hero and and they just give you a bunch of guesses. Well, maybe Bathsheba would have despised this child in her shame and he wouldn't have had a good life. So the Lord just took him. Or maybe, maybe the stigma of all of this would have been too great because the entire nation, the entire kingdom would have known what David did and this child would, would, would bear that stigma and God didn't want him to go through that. I mean, we, those are just guesses. We don't know. But please know this. While sin always hurts and leaves scars and causes us pain, God is always great in love and rich in mercy, just like the scripture says. And even though we walk through the darkest valleys imaginable, I'm talking about valleys of difficult loss and despair and hurtful things, even though we walk through those valleys, listen to me, God is still always working all things for our good, and we may not ever understand why, but we can trust in his unfailing love towards us. If we can trust him in the good times, we can trust him in the hard ones too. I'm giving you the keys to David's comeback from personal disappointment, and the first one is you got to put down the shovel. The second one is you need to own your role in it. Here's the third one. If you want to come back from personal disappointment, you need to worship the Lord again. You need to worship again. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, it says, Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. Well, that'll make anybody feel better, won't it? After he did that, he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. This is why worship matters. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 says that sin separates you from the Lord your God not God's intention for you. That's what sin does. Sin separates you from the Lord your God. Worship is the place of intimacy with God. So while sin tears you away from God, worship restores that relationship. David sinned in rebellion and it led to personal disappointment. And while his sin was forgiven, watch this, his relationship needed to be restored. And that's what worship does. Never underestimate the power of personal worship. It is a key to you walking and living in victory. It's a key to your comeback. David went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. And now look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 26 with me. It says, Meanwhile, while all this is going on, Joab is still fighting against Rabbah of the Ammonites, and he captured the royal citadel. Joab then sent messengers to David saying, I have fought against Rabbah. I've taken its water supply. Now muster the rest of the troops and besiege the city and capture it. Otherwise, I will take the city and I'll name it after me. (laughs) So look at verse 29. I mean, David abdicated his responsibility as king. Joab, mine as well. The city of Joab. Here we go. 
Verse 29, David mustered the entire army and went to Rabbah and attacked it and captured it. Here's the fourth key to your comeback from personal disappointment. You need to return to the place of your calling. You need to return to the place. Watch this. The story started with him abdicating his responsibility and his place of calling. The story ends with him stepping back into it. That's what a comeback is. That's exactly what it is. See, personal disappointment, the kind of failure that David went through, it can be debilitating. We don't feel worthy anymore. We don't feel like we have a right anymore. We, our confidence is shaken. No, nobody's going to listen to us. Nobody's going to follow us into battle. I mean, everybody knows what's happened here. Here's the thing. You still have a calling on your life. The Bible says the calling of God is without repentance. That means that he does not pull that away from you. He's called you, he's entrusted you, he's equipped you, he's anointed you, and he never pulls that away. What God is waiting on is for you to step back into that place of calling. David went through all of that, but this is his comeback moment. This is where he's back. This is where the warrior king that we all know and love shows back up on the scene. He musters the army. He marches into Rabbah and he takes that city. Listen to me. Some of you have been sidelined for way too long because of something that happened a long time ago. And God is telling you today, it's time to get back on the field. The comeback that God has written into your story, it cannot happen until you get back in the game. Some of you are standing on the sidelines and you're waiting for God to do it. And God said, "Uh uh-uh, no, this is not my comeback. This is your comeback. You've got to step out on the field. You've got to get back in the game. It's time for you to be the king you are called to be again. It's time to step back into your place of authority and leadership again. It's time to rise up and lead again. Your comeback is on the way, but before you can experience it, you've got to return to the place of calling and authority. Amen. Come on, stand with me. Stand with me. Come on up, Ben. I want us to pray. I want us to pray today, and I believe that God is going to turn a story of personal disappointment for some of us into a story of comeback and a story of victory today. I believe God's going to do that. And if you would, just everybody, bow your heads and close your eyes. And right now, just lock in to this this moment with the Holy Spirit.